so, and it's chapter 15, verses 11 through to 32. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger, man, the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he had come to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the other son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, up, has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has come back safe and sound. The older brother began, became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look! All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because your because this your brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Amen. Um, let's pray and then we're going to look at God's word. Father, we do thank you for the, uh, this great parable and uh, the challenge and the comfort that it is to us. We pray now that our minds would be attentive and that our hearts would be open. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We Aussies love freedom, don't we? We love the freedom to do what we want, uh, how we want to do it, and where we want to do it. I think to some extent it's, a, it's, it's kind of summed up in the culture of the grey nomads. 
Have we got any grey grey nomads with us today? Uh, no. Oh, good. Good. I can. Yeah, that's right. You know, I can speak freely in that case. You know, you know the idea of the grey nomad that uh, you retire from your from work, uh, you cash in your assets, uh, you go and buy a a vehicle with a lot of grunt, and a uh, and a van to to tow, and uh, then you you take off. You hit the road, uh, the road to freedom, uh, not just for a you know one week holiday, but for six months, twelve months, two years, and you go to all sorts of interesting and out of the way places, and you meet some all sorts of interesting and out of the way kind of people, and you have a great time. Um, but some of these vans, well, they're kind of like palaces on wheels. Have you noticed that? I, I, last year, uh, one day. I saw, I saw this van uh, that was trying to edge its way into the, um, you know, the caravan park down the, the break wall caravan, the, the, yeah, the, the break wall caravan park, and it was a bus. It was a luxurious bus towing a car. <laughs> uh, in fact, uh, people tell me that that's nothing. The most luxurious ones have got a little car that drives into the back of the van. So you just roll it down because, you know, it's, it's all about freedom. It's about the freedom to go where you want, when you want, how you want, uh, although there's not much freedom when it comes to trying to find a parking spot with these uh, kind of things. But um, Jesus once, uh, and the, 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 the grey nomads, of course, they, they joke about this. They're usually baby boomers that have retired. And what do they say? They say that we, we're, we've spent the kids' inheritance. We've spent the kids' inheritance. Now, in this story that we're looking at today, uh, Jesus tells us about someone who spent the inheritance. But it wasn't a, a parent that spent the kids' inheritance. It was a kid who spent his own inheritance. Now, in the NIVs, uh, this is called the, uh, the, the parable of the lost son. Um, but what do we usually call it? We usually call it the parable of the prodigal son. Do you think that's a good name for the, for the, for the parable? What do you reckon? I've got a couple of objections to it <clears throat> as a name for the parable. I'll tell you why. First of all, what does the word prodigal mean? I mean, uh, it's not a term that we use very much. In The only, t- only time I've ever heard the word prodigal used is in reference to this parable. Does anyone know what the, what the word prodigal means? Based on prodigy. Yeah, you know, there is a link there actually because it's got to do with uh, big and, and extravagant, that sort of thing. Any other ideas? Anyone want to have a crack at it? Nobody knows what the word prodigal means. My point made. Uh, it actually means someone who's wasteful in their extravagant spending. So I think we've got to change the name. The other thing is that uh, it's not just a story about a son. There are three characters in this parable, three people. There's a man and there's two sons. And you could argue that the parable could equally be about any one 
of the three characters uh, in the parable. So let's have a look at the parable. Uh, You might want to open up your Bibles at Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Um, But before um, we do that, I want to suggest that in one sense, this could be defined as being a parable about true freedom. And I'm going to explain why. But let's first of all check out uh, who the audience was that Jesus spoke this parable to. Now you see it, if you've got to go back to chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. This sets the scene, it sets the context, all right? So I'm going to read that uh, from verse 15, chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Uh, where it says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. Who who were they gathering around to hear? Jesus. So sinners and tax collectors all gathering around Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were there as well, and they muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So, who is the audience? A whole group of people who are classified as being sinners. Not quite very righteous people. And tax collectors. I mean, tax collectors were despised. Uh, They they worked for the occupying Roman um, government. And they collected taxes and they pocketed some for themselves. They were traitors. So Jesus has got a whole bunch of uh, sinners and traitors sitting around him, but who else is there? The religious leaders, the Pharisees and the, tax, and, and, and the teachers of the law. And uh, so that these are the people to whom uh, the parables are directed at. You see, that's the context. And then Jesus then goes on in verse 3, he tells them one parable. In verse 8, he tells them another parable. Then he tells them this parable. The Pharisees and the tax collectors, uh, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, were judging Jesus. They were judging him because he associated with people who they looked down their noses at. And so in verse 11, Jesus actually lures the Pharisees and the teachers of the law with this story. He says, let me tell you a story. There's a man who had two sons. And verses 11 right through to 24 are all about the younger son. Uh, When one day, uh, the younger son asked his father to give him his share of the inheritance And the father agreed. Uh, The son took the cash and then he hit the road, the road to freedom, away from his father and he went to go and live in a faraway place. Now, in Jewish culture, it was possible for the father to retain the, uh, the, the property, the land, until his death, but he could make a cash gift to one of his children if he so desired. But in this situation, the son has approached him and has asked for his share of the inheritance. Now, what do you think about that? Um, 
in, in some cultures today, especially in the Middle East or, and also I understand in Asian cultures, that if a child says to the parents, the parent, uh, I would like my share of the inheritance now, thank you very much. Do you know what that's saying to the parent? That's saying, I wish that you were dead. That's what it's saying. And, and that's what's going on here. That's what would have been the case in the culture of the first century. Uh, as this young man wants to cash in his inheritance, by leaving the father, what he's saying is saying, I want the things which you provide, but I don't want you. I want independence from you. Now, that is a picture, when you think about it, of the human attitude towards our Heavenly Father, to God. Um, we know that God exists, and we enjoy all of the good things that God provides, but we want to claim our freedom from God. Uh, we want to hit the road, as it were. We want to uh, live our lives our way and without involving God in our lives. And that's the nature of of sin. That's what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden, isn't it? They said, we know what's best for us. We want freedom from what God wants. That's the character of sin. The younger son wanted his freedom. But uh, in verses 13 through to 16, what was the result of what he did? Well, firstly, he squandered all of his money uh, on, on wild living. And that he's called the prodigal son and then secondly the economy in this faraway country went into free fall because there was a famine there was a drought and where did he end up well he ended up in a pigsty in verse 15 the only work he could find when all his money had run out was that someone hired him to go and feed the pigs now, this is a uh, very stark point that Jesus is making because what he's saying here is that this young man has hit absolute rock bottom. What was the Jewish attitude towards pigs? They were unclean according to the Old Testament law. Uh, Jewish people would have nothing to do with pigs. They wouldn't eat pork. Uh, they wouldn't go near... They wouldn't touch pigs. But here, this young man has hit rock bottom. In fact, what we're told is that the pigs were better off than he was because he longed for the food that he was giving to the pigs. The pigs have got more status than he does. He's hit rock bottom, absolute rock bottom. And that's Jesus' point. You see, what is freedom? Um, people think that freedom is the liberty to do what we want. But true freedom is the liberty to do what God wants, to live God's way. Uh, to be truly free means to be the people whom we are meant to be. And God has uh, created us for a reason. God as our Heavenly Father has created us He's created you, every one of us, to be people who have fellowship with him, 
to have a relationship with the creator of the universe. How about that? That is a high status that we have, isn't it? As God's creatures made in his image. That's why he's created us. And that's our purpose. But when we say no to God, and when we seek our freedom by walking away from God, going our own way, what we find is that life is not what it was meant to be. We find uh, that uh, life is not as satisfying, that life is not as fulfilling. And yet, God can sometimes use that situation because uh, it was in the pigsty of this young man's life that he faced up to two important truths. And the first important truth was that he was lost, that he had lost something which was vital to his life. You see, what he lacked was not just something called food. He came to realise that what he lacked was someone called Father. Even his father's servants were better fed than he was. That's the first truth. Sitting in the, uh, the pigsty, this young man came to realise that his true identity uh, was, was bound up in being the son of the father. And to find uh, his uh, identity outside of that had been a failure. And that's true of all people. We seek to find our identity and our satisfaction in all kinds of things, don't we? Um, in wealth, in uh, material possessions, sometimes in education or in sport or in achievement. We think that if only I can get those things then I will be truly the person who I was meant to be. And yet sometimes we find out at the end of that road that it's empty, that it's hollow and that we've got this gaping hole in our lives that's craving after God. Now, I'm not a philosopher. You've probably picked that up by now. And I don't pretend to understand about philosophy or great philosophers of the past, but there was a French guy by the name of Jean-Paul Sartre. Have you heard of Jean-Paul Sartre? Anyone heard of him? All right, well, he was not only a French philosopher, but he was also an atheist, and he was uh, a uh, very high atheist in his day. And I reckon that he summed up this feeling that I've been describing pretty well. Uh, listen to what he once said. He said, and I quote, That God does not exist, I cannot doubt, but that my whole soul cries out for God, I cannot deny. See the truth that he's saying? We have this vacuum, this hole that can only be fulfilled by God. The younger son realised that he was empty, that he was lost. But the second truth that he realised was this. He realised also that he was guilty. He was guilty. Have a look at uh, verse 18 and 19 as he thought about what he was going to do. In verse 18 he said, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. 
make me like one of your hired men. That's a classic confession of sin, isn't it? You see, he's not just sorry that he's lost. He's sorry about what he's done. And what does he want to say to the Father? He wants to say, look, I'm really sorry that I did not want you in my life. I'm really sorry that I did not want your fellowship. And now I come to you seeking your forgiveness. I'm not worthy, but I'm seeking forgiveness. I am sorry. Three words, friends. Three very, very powerful words. Three words that have the power to to right wrongs. Three words that have the power to restore broken relationships. I wonder if you've experienced the power of that kind of those three words in your life. Uh, be it when you've said it to someone else and they've said that's okay, or when it's been said to you. Very powerful words. I am sorry. Especially powerful when they are spoken to our Heavenly Father who has uh, so shown to us his willingness to accept our apology that he sent his own son to pay for our guilt by dying on the cross. I am sorry. This is what the young man wanted to say to his father. And so uh, in verses 20 through to 24, he he returns to his dad. And I wonder if you can uh, put yourself in his shoes for a moment and uh, think about what would have been going through his mind and through his heart. I reckon he would have been anxious, don't you? He wouldn't know what kind of reception that his father was going to give him. Would his father forgive him or would his father turn him away? Would his father want to forget him? An anxious time for him. But his anxiety was relieved because we're told there in verse 20 that when his father saw him coming towards the the property, his, uh, his father did what a Middle Eastern man would find very undignified to do. He girded up his loins, as they say, and he ran to his son and he wrapped his arms around him. And in the Greek it says that he covered him with kisses. Covered him with kisses. And he turned to his servants and he said, go and get the best robe and put it on his back. Go and get a, a ring and put it on his finger. Go and get some sandals. And, and while you're at it, while you're at it, that, that calf that we've been fattening up for the great feast that's coming up, well, that time has come. Go slaughter that calf. It's time to party because my son was dead, but now he's alive. My son was lost, but now he's found. This is the time for celebration. How do you reckon the son would have felt then? Well, does the, uh, the word valued spring to mind? Uh, does the word important and loved? 
What about the word freedom or free? I wonder if the freedom that he thought that he was going to find away from the Father, he has now found that freedom in the forgiveness and the fellowship of the Father. It's a great moment, isn't it? Uh, when you think about what is actually transpiring uh, in this story. And um, you know what? It reminds us of a couple of characters that we've seen uh, in the Gospels. A couple of weeks back, uh, Ian preached on the... uh, Remember the story about Jesus went to the Pharisee's home? The Pharisee didn't wash his feet, but there was a a lady that was defined as being a sinful woman, a prostitute. Remember, she washed Jesus' feet, didn't she? She poured perfume over Jesus' feet and she washed Jesus' feet with her tears. There would have been people like that listening to this story as Jesus was telling it because she had found forgiveness and fellowship in Jesus. Um, there were tax collectors listening to Jesus tell this story. You remember there was a guy called Zacchaeus. Uh, he wasn't, a, he wasn't, wasn't a particularly nice character, ripping off his own people, but he too found forgiveness and fellowship because Jesus accepted him. And with that came freedom the freedom to be the person who he was meant to be. And so he said, I'm going to give back all of the money that I've stolen plus more. Like the sinful woman who had the freedom to just pour open that jar of perfume at the feet of Jesus. Forgiveness, fellowship, freedom. And it's not really what those Pharisees and the teachers of the law had experienced. Which leads on to the, uh, uh, to the second son, uh, rather the oldest son. Uh, how did he feel about all of this? Well, in verse 25, we read that uh, he was out on the fields working away, as he's always been doing. And when he was coming in from the fields, he heard that there was a bit of party, music and dancing, uh, there was some celebration, um, Was he happy about that when he found out why they were celebrating? No. Uh, In verse 28, he was angry. He was furious when he found out. He was so angry that he would not even step inside the house. Uh, His father had to come out to him and talk to him. And when he did, there was a confrontation between the two. The oldest son looked at the father and he said, I have been working for you like a slave all these years. I have done everything that you ever asked me to do. And what about him? He's gone off and he's squandered all your money, probably spent it on prostitutes. Not once... Not once have you ever even bothered to slaughter even a lousy goat for me and my friends so that we can celebrate. But for him, you go and slaughter the fattened calf. I'm angry 
because you're unjust, he is getting what I deserved. That's what he's saying. He's angry. And friends, do you think he knows what it means to be truly free? To find his freedom in his identity? No. He considers his relationship with his father to be like a master and a slave, not a father and a son. And that is just like the people whom Jesus was speaking to, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They were religious. Uh, These guys, they worked so hard to obey every one of God's commandments, plus a whole stack of other commandments that they added. In fact, the Pharisees were so fastidious about obeying the Old Testament law that uh, when it came to um, tithing, uh, they would even go to their, um, their, their, their mint and their herbs in their, in their pots and they would gather a tenth of that to go and give it in. These guys were meticulous. Their problem was that they'd become proud. They'd become arrogant and self-righteous. Uh, Self-righteous people think that they're okay with God because of who they are and what they have done. I wonder if you've ever noticed that um, self-righteous people uh, tend to become judgmental and critical of others. Uh, When when you meet someone who's a very judgmental, critical person, backtrack a bit and think, are they actually self-righteous? Because nobody deserves what they deserve. Nobody does as much as they do. And it leads to that attitude that you find in the religious leaders. They are blinded by pride. Now, John Wesley, um, have you heard of John Wesley? He was a religious leader in the... uh, 18th century in England. Uh, His brother was Charles Wesley and together uh, both of them started up what became the Methodist movement. Now John Wesley had grown up in a ministry family. Uh, They were religious if you like. Uh, His dad was a a clergyman so he he grew up in the uh, the rectory or the manse uh, all his life in the beginning part of his life. But he would say that in his earlier life, the earlier part of his life, that he was more like the older son than the younger son. Now, uh, John Wesley became an ordained Anglican minister, like his dad was. Um, But it was only well into his ministry, when he was about 35 years of age, that uh, one night he uh, happened to be at a meeting where uh, somebody was reading uh, the, um, the preface to Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Romans, the sort of thing that you do or, you know, on a night that you don't have much else to do. But he was listening to the book of Romans being explained at this meeting. And it was only then that the penny dropped that he came to realise that fellowship with the Father comes through the forgiveness of the cross. Because up until then, he had committed himself to obeying God's law 
as perfectly as he could as the means by, by which he would be saved. That was his theology. But he came to realise that fellowship with the Father comes through the forgiveness of the cross. And in that, he found true fulfilment. In fact, he said that when I heard about this, uh, he said famously that I felt my heart strangely warmed. And that's what happens when the burden of the guilt of your sin is lifted away through the power of the cross. Later on, he wrote uh, saying that before I became a Christian, I had the religion of a servant, not the religion of a son. I had the religion of a slave, not of a son. I had the religion of the older son, not the younger one. Now, what about you? In fact, what about us? When we look at this, um, uh, this parable, it will connect with uh, each of us perhaps differently in different ways. Uh, let me try to articulate some of those ways. Uh, for some of us, uh, we might be people that have grown up in a, uh, in a Christian family. Um, my kids are growing up in a Christian family. And that's a really good thing, to grow up in a Christian family. Uh, maybe you've been regular at church all your life and you try to do your best for God, to obey him. Great stuff. So you should. What is the danger here? The danger is that we can kind of slide into this self-righteousness which uh, makes us think that we're okay with God because of those things that we do. Uh, and the gospel of forgiveness can fade away in our thinking. And when someone who is the opposite uh, is actually forgiven by God and becomes a Christian and wants fellowship with God's people, well, sometimes that can be a little bit hard to swallow. But yet in the closing two verses of this parable, the father says to the older son, that's the time for feasting. That's the time for celebration because a person who has been lost has been found. A person who is dead uh, is now alive. And the angels in heaven rejoice. And so should we. Why wouldn't we? Well, it may be that you're a little bit more perhaps like the younger son. You've been trying to find freedom. And you've been looking in all sorts of ways. All sorts of ways, except God. Been looking in all the wrong places when you should be looking towards the Father. And it hasn't worked. Well, the great news of the parable is that uh, uh, God wants you back. That God, uh, our Heavenly Father, that His arms are wide open. The great news is that the freedom for which we've been created comes through forgiveness, comes through fellowship with the Father and it's open to us all. So come, put your trust in Jesus, return to the Father and find that joy, that freedom. It might be that for many of us, 
we're not in either one of those two camps, but we can see a little bit of ourselves in both. For us, the message is be encouraged and be challenged to be like that younger son. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that uh, true freedom is found through uh, the forgiveness that leads to fellowship with you. We pray for each one of us here that we would be people who don't run away from you, but uh, find our true identity in being your sons and your daughters. And we thank you that you are so kind and gracious and forgiving And you can be so because of your son, Jesus, that he died on the cross to pay the penalty which we deserved. And for that we rejoice. And we pray that more and more people would learn this good news that we have found. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.